Welcome to the Sermon Audio Podcast of Hill Country Bible Church, Georgetown. The podcast bringing you biblical messages that encourage you to put Christ at the center of everyday life. We're here to help you engage in the local church and to invite you into a life that matters through Jesus. If you have any questions about your next step, visit us online at hillcountry.life. And now for today's message. All right, good morning, everyone. Uh, As Grace said, we are in the middle of this series called Holy Mess. And so far in this series, we've really spent a lot of time talking about how messy we are, right? And much like the Apostle Paul, we as individuals are really messy. And as, as like, much like the church in Corinth, as we'll see here in a little bit, we collectively can be very, very messy sometimes. What seems to look good on the outside can often be just a wreck on the inside, right below the surface. Now, when I was a kid and my mom would tell me to go clean my room, I was that kid that instead of actually cleaning my room, I would hide the mess. I would hide stuff. I don't know why. I think I put more energy into hiding things. I, it was like a game to me. I would take the, I'd take the clothes and stuff them behind the door. I would take the toys and books. I'd stuff them under the bed. I found the perfect place for dirty socks are in coat sleeves. Just stuff them down in there. I no idea what I was thinking. Don't, don't judge me, right? <laughs> but what would look immaculate on the outside, right below the surface, was just filthy, right? Just filthy. And so we've talked a lot about uh, the mess over the last couple of weeks. But the good news, and this is where Pastor Brian left us last week, is that God is not afraid of your mess. He's not afraid of your messiness. He's in the business, we said, of taking the holy mess and turning it into holiness. There's a story, an old story that's been around for a while. I don't know where it originated from, but it goes like this. A long time ago, there was a carpenter, a master carpenter. He went into the house building business and he built great houses. And after many years of working for the same employer, he decided he was kind of tired. He wanted out of his contract and he wanted to retire. So his boss said, okay, but there's, there's just one more house on the contract. It was a beautiful lot with a magnificent view. And the boss wants it to be a dream house and insists that the master carpenter build it. And so the carpenter agreed. He needed money to build uh, a, a cottage for his retirement. But his heart wasn't in the job. Right? His heart wasn't in it. And so he got sloppy. He cut corners. He resented having to do the work. He substituted particle board for good wood. He used plastic pipes where copper pipes were called for. Walls were put up that weren't uh, straight, were weren't to plumb. When he finished, his boss shook his hand and thanked him for the many years of their work together. Then his boss handed him an envelope, and when he opened it, he found out to his shock it contained the deed to the house he had just built. Ouch. He didn't know the house he had been building with so much resentment and such a grudging spirit and so much dishonesty was the place he would have to spend the rest of his life. Day after day, he had been given the opportunity to create something unique and magnificent. He could have done that, and he threw the chance of a lifetime away, and he didn't even know it. The carpenter in this story was so sad, it says, because he had done this to himself. He would spend the rest of his life living in a place that he built carelessly, resentfully, grudgingly, joylessly, and without integrity. Yikes. 
See, our character is the house that we live in. Our character is the house we live in. It's the house that matters. And we build it, every one of us, one moment, one day at a time. Every one of us, we build it on purpose or on accident. Isn't that true? For better or for worse, we build it, every one of us, by how we spend our time, the words that we use, the words that we, that we listen to, by how we love people or how, how we ignore people. Right? And maybe especially the thoughts that we allow to occupy our minds I'm building my life, and you're building your life right now. And when, when I cut corners, whenever I compromise my integrity, when I, when I build with resentment or ego right, or selfishness or pettiness, I'm building a future, and you're building a future that you're going to have to live in and that you're going to have to live with. See? So how are you, how's your building project going? How's your house going? Right? The writers of the Bible were so interested in what this well-lived life looks like. And that's what Paul's interested in when he's, write, when he's writing to this church in Corinth. There, everybody was, was designing their lives and building their lives. And we even have a New York Times bestseller right now uh, called Designing Your Life. I've never read it, so I'm not recommending it. But um, it's, it's there. And, and we are all designing our lives. And, and in Corinth, they were designing their lives around the, the, the pursuit of status or wealth or reputation or honor. Sound familiar? Right. But we're all designing our life. And there's a different way there's a different pattern to design your life around. And oddly enough, it's around humility. It's around self-giving love. It's around death to ego. It's so hard. It's a, it's, it, we call it a cross-shaped life often. Right? That's why this word cross and the pattern of the cross is mentioned so many times over and over in Paul's letter to the church in Corinth. So today, Paul has some interesting things to say about how we should go about and how we should design our lives in a way where the goodness of it will last. Okay. Because you have one chance, and I have one chance, and so many of us are just throwing it away. So this is what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. He says this, For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? So Paul's primary concern in this passage is the church. It's all about the church. And we together are the church, the place where God's spirit dwells within us. But this, of course, the church, we are made up of individuals. And so this passage involves every single one of us. Everybody's life is under construction. And Paul has this really amazing uh, statement. He says, you are God's building. You are God's building. Isn't that interesting? How, how many of you have ever seen or heard of House Hunters International, right? 
It's a show where people were trying to move from Abilene to Switzerland, you know, all the way across. And they're, they're trying to find out, you know, the size house they need, what, what, how close it is to town or an apartment or what amenities are included, right? It's kind of an interesting show. But in this passage, it's almost like God is house hunting and he wants to move from up there to down here. And strangely enough, his dream house is you. But you're not ready to be God's dream house yet. You are a fixer-upper. Now, don't, don't like nudge your spouse. Don't look at them. You are a fixer-upper, and so am I. I'm a fixer-upper too. We are all under construction. But here's the thing. Here's the thing that's so important. You get to choose the materials that your life is built with. You get to choose. It's not your circumstances. It's not what happens to you. You get to choose the materials that your life is built with. And Paul lists six different materials in this passage, but they can really be divided uh, essentially into two groups. Group A would be gold, silver, and precious stones. Those are materials that uh, will stand up, it says, to, to the fire. Okay, And the fire in the Bible and in this passage, very often it's an image of God's judgment, God's ability, ability to, to decide what's good and what's not, what's right and what's wrong. And gold, silver, and precious stones are materials that, that have qualities that will stand up to the fire and to God's judgment. Now, group B would be wood, hay, and straw. And those are materials that, will, that won't stand up to God's judgment. And so building your life, which you and I are currently doing, we're doing that right now with every choice we make. It's not about our exterior, our outer circumstances. We often think our lives are all about what kind of income we have, what kind of vocational opportunities, or how high my IQ is, or, or what our body shape is, or if my face is attractive, or all of my hair, or, you know, we, we, we focus on all these exterior things, our resume, our GPA. It's not about that. It's about our character. It's my character. It's the quality of my inner life. That matters. It's the kind of thoughts and desires and intentions and hopes and habits that fill my minutes and my hours and my days and my years that matters the most. That's what matters most about me. And that's what matters most about you. So we get so concerned with what's happening out here that we get so confused and we forget about what's going on behind the scenes. Now, a couple weeks ago, uh, we went back to Pittsburgh, and the grandkids got to see the grandparents, and it was a great time. Uh, and during that time, I got my first real experience with plumbing. Now, I'm no Chip Gaines, but I am fairly handy. I'm a fairly handy guy. But plumbing? Plumbing is the worst. It is terrible. Thank you. Thank you. Plumbing is terrible. I, I've done a little bit, and everything I've, I've touched is just, it's not fun. It's not fun. So we get to my parents' house, and their bathtub faucet needs replaced. And I'm thinking, oh, okay, there's a picture. I'm thinking, okay, that's fine. I'll be in and out in five minutes. I'll just unscrew the old one and put the new one on. It's going to be great. So about three days later and 15 trips to Ace Hardware, uh, we finally get uh, the job done. Because when I hear faucet, I'm thinking the spout that comes out of the wall. Right? Just unscrew it and put the, put the new one on. But here's the problem. All this looks good on the outside. 
but that's not where the problem was, right? You look behind the scenes, behind the wall, and you see just a, a mess of, and that's fixed, actually. That's the fixed one. <laughs> so my dad described it as the waterfall behind the wall whenever you turn the water on. It was a mess of corroded and leaking joints all over the place, okay? So as good as it looked on the outside, it was an unusable mess right behind the scenes. And see, we live in a place that gets so deluded about this. We prioritize things like money and titles and position or reputation, but those things are nothing in comparison to character and integrity. Right? They're, they're going to be gone like that in this life. Some people with great outer-looking lives, behind the scenes, just under the surface, are a wreck. They're living in spiritual shambles. But on the flip side, some people who seem so unimpressive ex on the exterior are beginning to build an eternal masterpiece within themselves. Right? We even think that what matters most to God are the things we do for him. Isn't that true? We think that our achievements or our accomplishments that we do for God are the most important things about us, but that's not the case. If you don't, if you don't remember anything about this message, I want you to hear this. The most important thing God gets out of your life, the main thing God gets out of your life is the person you become. The main thing God gets out of your life is the person you become. The main thing God gets out of your life isn't your resume, it's not your accomplishments, it's the person you become. And by the way, that's also the main thing you get out of your life, okay? That's what you'll take with you into eternity. That's what's going to determine the rewards that you get to enjoy for all eternity with God. And so the text poses really two questions I want to encourage all of us to ask ourselves as we look at our lives in light of what Jesus did on the cross. Two questions, and they're pretty simple. The first one is this, what will I build my life with? What will I build my life with? What are the qualities of spirit that a wise carpenter would choose? And so for, the, for gold, silver, and precious stones, the things that will stand up to the fire, we, we might think about what Paul talks about is the fruit of the Spirit, right? Imagine building your life on love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And for wood, hay, and straw, we might think of their opposing qualities. Instead of love, it might be ego. Instead of joy, it might be envy. Instead of peace, it might be hurry or chronic anxiety. All those things that don't, don't matter and won't stand up to God's judgment. See, the reason we need to examine our lives in light of, of what Jesus did on the cross is because our true nature, our inner lives, our character is only really known by God. One day, it's going to be revealed in high definition. And Paul says, uh, by way of talking about this, he says, the day will bring it to light. And when he talks about that idea, that's a, an old phrase in the Bible, um, the, the day of the Lord or the day of God's judgment. When God's going to make everything clear, all mysteries will be solved. There won't be any wrongs left unrighted. There won't be any more moral ambiguity anymore. I want to read uh, to you a story about two different people, and uh, these, these might be people in your life. You might, you might have these kind of people that you know. But from the outside, these two people live, um, the lives of these two people looked remarkably similar. 
They led a lot of people in ministry. They, they designed programs. They were involved in organizational leadership. They would, they would often speak at the same conferences, teach on the same subjects, run in the same circles, and have similar levels of recognition and success. Yet, a striking difference would emerge as you got to know each of them up close. And when you'd get to know the inner circle of people who knew them well or watched how they responded to hidden moments of daily life. With one of them, the better people got to know him, the more they loved him. He was kind and gentle and humble. He cared about people. When he was wrong, he would admit it quite easily. He was unhurried. It was life-giving to work for him. He just naturally treated people well. His peers, his subordinates, or somebody on the waitstaff of a restaurant, everybody was naturally interesting to him. And not because he was trying to look like a Christian, he was just that way. He had what you might call, and this is interesting, he had what you might call eulogy virtues. Those virtues people talk about at a memorial service when somebody passes, and they're giving a eulogy. At the end of this man's life, although there was great pain, he was able to let go of his life with enormous gratitude. His body aged. He didn't have the same title or office anymore, but his spirit was filled with hope. When he died, the circle of love and the stories that got told about him and the lives that were touched by him and the joy that he produced just rippled and rippled and rippled. Sounds pretty awesome. Now with the second person, in a lot of ways, it was almost the exact opposite. He had what you might call resume virtues, qualities that make for a successful career, but the closer you got to this person's life and inner circle, the more troubling the truth was and the worse the house looked. He treated people badly, often using a combination of fear or intimidation along with flattery or manipulation. It was clear in a hundred ways that his ego was running the show, even though this was in God's name. His life was full of secrets. Nobody really knew him. And if you ask people who worked under him, was it a life-giving, joy-producing relationship? They would literally laugh. People would be impressed from a distance, but up close, this was a life that was empty and lonely. And when his power and title were gone, there were no people who were bound to him by love. And at the end of his life, you could feel... Uh, him trying desperately to grasp onto a little kingdom that no longer belonged to him because that little kingdom, that was his little kingdom. And it was all he ever really had. So two lives that from a distance look very similar. But when you get up close, one's gold, silver, precious gems. And the other's wood, hay, and straw. Right? What am I building my life with? What are you building your life with, my secret life, my eternal life, right? the part of me that is the main thing God gets. Sometimes it's the story of two families, and all the kids look like uh, such high achievers, and we, we look and look up to these families, but one family operates out of um, just coldness and, and pressure to perform, where the other one operates and cares out of joy and love. Right? Or it might be uh, two different coaches. They both have the same record. But one coaches out of uh, anger and fear and intimidation. But the other one coaches out of inspiration and encouragement and love. From a distance, they look so similar. There's a psychologist by the name of Eric Erickson. And he wrote about the stages of life that adults go through. 
And he, he wrote about the final stage of life before you die. And he said that it's either characterized by in, uh, integrity or despair. Integrity or despair. And integrity is when you have a life built, a character or a soul uh, that's made up of those qualities, the, the precious stones, the, the qualities of spirit that stand up uh, to the fire. Despair is whenever you um, have built on wood, stubble, hay, straw, all those things that don't, and you look back on your life with such despair. No matter how great your house looks, no matter how great your resume looks, how are you building? Now, earlier I said uh, after three days and 15 uh, trips to Ace Hardware, my plumbing experience was all done, but it's not the entire truth. Um, this is kind of true confessions time. Uh, there's something interesting that happens uh, that I learned in plumbing. You get all the pieces in, you use the right sealant on the threads, the tape, the, the little goop stuff, but the, the proof isn't always immediate, right? So I, I, I think I'm all done, and logically I should have been. Everything's like tightened up. Everything's the way it should be. It looks great. So I turn the water on, and I come back about an hour later just to check on it. And sure enough, there's a drop, one single drop of water on those threads, right? And so I get the wrench back out. I give it a quarter turn to try and shut that, that little leak off, and I let it sit for another hour. Sure enough, there's a little drop of water just mocking me. Ha, 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 ha. Like, and so I give it another quarter turn check it for another hour. And I, I seriously do this for hours, like back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. I end up tightening it so much that I round the corners off of one of the joints. And so guess what? I got to take that joint off and start from scratch in, in that place. I got to replace that part. See, we're building our lives one day, one hour at a time. And it's not something that you do once and then you're done, right? So, so you messed up, give it a quarter turn and reevaluate. Right, so you said something you shouldn't have, so, so you treated them that way. Go back, apologize, replace that part if you have to. Go back and reevaluate. Is there a relationship that you need to pour some love into? Is there somebody you need to encourage or listen to or, 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 or spend some time with or serve or give a gift to? Right? Maybe you're building your house of hurry and you're just rushing through your day, day in and day out. Oh yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make time for God in my life. I'm gonna make time for prayer. I'm gonna make space in my schedule for him and my relationship with him. Just, just not today. I, I can't do it today. I don't have time for that. See, the main thing God gets out of your life, it's so important, is the person you become. He's not gonna be terribly interested in your resume and in my resume. And we're going to continue this topic next week. Pastor Brian's going to be teaching out of another passage in uh, Corinthians, talking about the four selves that each of us have. Did you know you have four selves? You have the public you, you have the private you, you have the real you that we don't like to think about a whole lot. And surprisingly, there's a fourth you that I'm going to leave as a, a little surprise. Uh, I think you'll find it interesting. Yeah, a little cliffhanger for you. But I told you there's a second question, and this is where I want to move to. This is what I want to end on. The first question was, what are you building your life with? And the second question is, what foundation will I build my life on? What foundation will I build my life on? And Paul has this really mysterious, intriguing statement in this passage. He was, he was saying, even somebody who builds with the wrong materials, even somebody who builds with wood, 
and straw and hay. And they're making a lot of mistakes and they're getting a lot of things wrong in life. Even then, he says, if it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. Interesting. In other words, they'll, they could lose and they, they'll lose some uh, what could be pretty awesome rewards in eternity. But they're still going to be with God because they're God's child. They, they have the right foundation, which we know is Jesus. Paul said, For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. He laid the foundation, of course, by dying on, on the cross for our sins. And the moment you put your faith in him, the moment you believe in him, the Bible says nothing, nothing can shake that foundation. And so have you, have you put your faith in Jesus as your foundation? John 1, 12 says, Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And so the moment you believe in Jesus, your foundation is secure. It's secure. No need to worry about your eternal destiny anymore if you've put your faith and you're trusting in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins and eternal life. Whatever storm may come, and many of you know this as well, that storms will come. But whatever storm comes, your, your world might be rocked. It might rock your world, but it's not going to end your world. Right? There's no other foundation to build your life on that is going to last than Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And so salvation is a free gift of God's grace received by faith in him. But did you catch the second part of that verse? For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared for us in advance for us to do. See, God created you and he created me to do good works. That has to do with the life that you're now building on that foundation. And when you have Jesus as your foundation, you have all the tools and I have all the tools at our disposal to create an eternal masterpiece. Right? It's a life that endures. Because as we've said, he's in the business of taking the holy mess and turning it into holiness. So, we got a couple questions. It's very introspective this week. Got a couple questions to ask ourselves uh, throughout the week. What are you going to build your life with? What are you currently building your life with? Choice by choice, moment by moment. And second, what foundation are you building on? Have you trusted in Jesus for your eternal life? Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this life, this gift that you've given us in this life. And God, forgive us because so often and so casually, we just throw away moments and hours and days and, and even years sometimes that are your gifts to us. And we, we so often build with wood and hay and straw. And so God, would you help us moment by moment do life with you? moment by moment, walk through life with you, asking your help to make the wise choice. 
live, to live life with peace and joy and kindness and goodness and all the things that in the end are going to matter and are going to stand up to your judgment. God, help us, help us to love others because you've loved us. And God, give us whatever we need, strength and wisdom to be able to do that. And God, help us to, to take time this week and really look at what are the qualities that we've chosen to build our life with. And are we, are we really building on you as our foundation? God, we love you. We thank you so much for all you've done for us. And again, we continue to pray that we would do moment by moment with you because we are better with you than without you. We love you. We pray this in your name. Amen.